Swanson to first. to win the Super Bowl, and they have sealed the deal. The long wait has ended after a half century. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions once again. And Lightning has struck twice. And the Tampa Bay Lightning are back-to-back Stanley Cup champions. Hello there. It's episode number 105 of Four Future Considerations. I'm John with my friends Matt and Manny. Guys, 105. It's the Hal Newhauser, Bob Lemon, and Carl Mays episode. What? Of for future considerations. What's that? Hal Newhauser, Bob Lemon, Carl Mays all had 207 wins, which is 105th best in Major League Baseball history. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to figure out how those four were ah, combined. See? <laughs> That's amazing. Tiger Great, Hal Newhouse. Yeah. That's the only guy I recognize. I looked at the thing like, Bob Lemon is this far down, but I'm thinking Bob Gibson. Yeah. That's that's <laughs> oh, why Bob I Lemon's said. no one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So, but you got Newhouser had what a hundred of those wins, or no, what? they all had they were all tied for it, they're all tied for 105th oh, with they, 207. Oh, they all had the same, they amount, all had of the wins. same amount of wins, yeah. Okay, 207. So, you got to win at least 200 games to not even make the top 100 in Major League Baseball anymore. <laughs> That's an old sport, it's been around for a while. That's quite a stat. You won't get that from any podcast. Well, whatsoever. Who's looking up Hal Newhouser shit on the internet anymore, eh? Come on now, people. Let's be real. Uh, what a way to get into the weekend. Dropping stats uh, like that. Started. I can't imagine anything getting more exciting than that on this episode. Oh, wait, what are we going to talk about? <laughs> this is our second show of the week called The OT. So if you missed our first show and... Oh, Amazing geez. drops like that stat. <laughs> Go back and have a listen to episode 104. Oh, some enlightening information in episode 104. I'll tell you that much. Oh, yeah. Something <laughs> Somebody we might have expect- lost their shit in episode 104, too. <laughs> oh, Our man. poor guest. All right, there was uh, <laughs> yeah. there was one topic I wanted to ask you guys about that we didn't get a chance to because we had so much on our plate in the last show, and that was the story around Bob Bafford. Uh, Medina Spirit has been stripped of his Kentucky Derby victory, and his trainer has been suspended for 90 days after the horse tested positive for a banned substance. Um, and then also the horse is dead. We'll mention that as well. Matt, oh, yeah, <laughs> by the way, by the way, it killed the horse. Continue. <laughs> So, Matt, this is your baby. So, how about it? <laughs> Look, I'm I'm not a bad Bafford, uh, Bob Bafford fan. I think it's very clear if you've listened is to... Is that a disclaimer that you're is, just putting out there before you this is go a on a rant? bias opinion. 90 days doesn't even get him through the Triple Crown season, in, in theory. The first Saturday in May is the Kentucky Derby. Two weeks after that is the Preakness. And then I think it's three weeks after that is the Belmont. So it just covers the Kentucky Derby race this year. It doesn't say anything else after that. And they're still appealing, which apparently appeals could go through the spring and into the early summer, depending on how it gets rushed along. 90-day suspension for the trainer doesn't doesn't mean anything for the horse. 
I mean, the, the owners are keeping the, the trainer there. The horse doesn't work or works with somebody else for 90 days. And then Bob Baffert just comes back in like nothing happened. It's an extended vacation and a $7,500 fine. <laughs> That's the part that killed me. This guy has in, in his cup holder in his damn truck that he's driving around with. Yeah. It's 7500 You could find me $7,500 and I'd still be all right. <laughs> I'd somehow get by. That's what that's what that says. You know how you and I look for loose change in the vehicle? Yeah. That's how he looks for 7500 bucks. Yeah. You know, <laughs> when it gets sunny and you, you drop the flat, $7,500 worth of loonies come falling out. <laughs> Bob Baffert's truck, $7,500 and 90 days for another suspension, another horse that's proven with these performance-enhancing drugs, which, again, the horse doesn't get any say as to what's going on here. It's not like Major League Baseball where there's got to be two people that are involved, and the horse is dead. So if if that's really what you think of of horse racing and the people that are involved in it and his comments even afterwards appealing and how he's trying to do this to help the next person who might be uh, perjured against or whatever his wording was. I I mean, is this, this is the dirtiest sport in the world. And this is beyond college football. You're letting this guy who's injecting steroids into animals that cannot decide if they want this to happen to them or not. Killing them. In some cases, killing them for $7,500 and a 90-day vacation. It's embarrassing. It's disgusting. Like, I get the 90-day suspension, but the fine is, this guy's a billionaire. Yeah. Yeah, with a B, $7,500. Unbelievable. I, I just don't get it. But you're going to watch the Kentucky Derby again this, this year. This is going to be great. This might be the best <laughs> derby ever. Because Baffert's not Because he's not going to be there. We're going to have to do shots every time uh, they mention him, though. <laughs> he might be uh, an analyst. Can he come back and be an analyst? We won't see the race then if we do shots. No, that's, that seems to be the theme these last few years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, this is the OT, right? So we we do more than talk about sports, right, John? That's right. We have a special guest on the OT today in recognition of Black History Month and the game we love so much, the game of hockey. This guy is one of the top goaltending coaches in the country. He has worked with Hockey Canada since 2009, most recently working with the U-22 Hockey Canada Women's Development Team. He has won countless gold medals. He needs two hands to hold them all. He has coached the Windsor Spitfires, Netminders, and is currently working with the University of Windsor Lancers hockey teams while still working for Hockey Canada. He has been consulting with goalies of all ages and ability levels for decades. He is also a member of the NHL Coaches Association BIPOC program that supports Black, Indigenous, and coaches of color. Please welcome to For Future Considerations... Perry Wilson. Perry, welcome to the podcast. Manny, thank you so much for that introduction. Uh, you make me seem a little bit bigger than life. I really appreciate the kind words, but I, I am uh, just a humble guy from Windsor that, that just loves hockey to death. Well, it's great. It's always great talking hockey with you, first and foremost, but we're thrilled that you actually found some time to join us on the podcast out of your busy schedule. How have things been? Uh, you know, it's it's been different, you know, having uh, every day to go to the rink to uh, now getting a chance to work with more youth goalies and, and 
set up some programs and do some uh, real reading on what the game is trending today and what it's asking for. Because it seems like every couple of years, the game asks for different things from different positions. Like the goalie position 10 years ago is nothing compared to what it is now. And I think it's the coach's responsibility to stay on top of that stuff. So I've been, you know, reading a lot and, and doing a lot of video, really digging into what I do so I can be even better. And that's what I've really learned from all of this. So when did you first start getting involved in, in hockey, Perry? How old were you? <laughs> well, my, my hockey story is pretty interesting. I uh, played I'm from Nova Scotia originally, and I was playing as a kid, you know, seven, eight years old, because my mom's cousin was the second black guy to play in the NHL. His name was uh, uh, Stanley Maxwell, and he was uh, a great hockey player. There were lots in the family, but there were none in my immediate family. So when I came to Ontario, it was really interesting. The first thing I heard when I came to Windsor was, you black guys can't skate because you have weak ankles. And <laughs> what? As, you know, as a kid, I was like, what? And it stuck because I heard it all the time. And my parents really didn't know how to get me into hockey in Ontario. And it was pretty, pretty close, the hockey community here when I started. So once I moved here, hockey was over until I was old enough to buy my own gear. So I was in my 20s working at Chrysler, bought my own gear and started playing and realized there's a lot of guys that play that aren't that much better than I am. So I kept going. Like I just hung them up uh, just before COVID. So absolutely love the game and realized that 20 plus years old there's nowhere to go to play so I got into coaching and loved it so that's been my absolute passion right playing is just for fun but coaching is is everything to me this is my NHL coaching so it's been a lot of fun being a being a black man and thinking about the challenges that you faced as a black kid that must have been tough because you love the game of hockey and they're telling you you can't play. Did I hear you right? Because of your ankles? Yeah, they were weak. They were, they said all black guys have weak ankles. And, you know, as I got older, it's like, well, how come I can jump so high if I have weak ankles? Like, <laughs> and of course, you know, like uh, even in high school, I would be going to watch practice and stuff like that, just loving it. And ne never, no one even asked me if I, even thought about playing hockey. It was like, nah, this is not for you. This is for us. And I was like, okay. And that was it. I played every other sport in high school and excelled at, at most of them. And the only one I never got an opportunity to play was hockey in high school. And then when I started playing after, a lot of the guys I went to school with were like, we didn't know you played hockey. I said, well, because I never got the chance. Yeah. You know, and these are the things that people just don't get. And it's, it's, it was really sad, but it's the reality. So, I mean, in coaching, uh, I've, I've never really run into it a whole lot. Only only one time in, when I was with the LaSalle Vipers, we were in St. Mary's for a game, and uh, I was coaching, and I was also running the team's fitness. And, you know, they had a, a room that we could use. It was an empty, big, big empty room. And I asked the guy if we could use it to warm the team up because – it was nothing but ice and snow outside. And he looked at me a couple of times and says, ah, nah, can't use that room. So I said, okay, that's fine. So I walked into our dressing room, the coach's room, and I said, 
can you go ask that guy if we can use that room? Coach walked up. Hey, can we use that room? Yeah, sure, no problem. Oh, jeez. Like, and it was like I walked up to him and I said, you know what? There's no reason for doing what you did, but I know you didn't, so do you. So let's just move on. Let's go play the game. Just understand, man. I like I wasn't I wasn't telling him I needed anything. I was asking. And it was just so disrespectful and there was no other you know, no other words for it. It was racial and I've had so much of that growing up. It was like, all right, I just handled it. And we got to warm up and everyone's like, Why are you so pissy now? It's like, Well, never mind. Let's just play. <laughs> and then that's kinda of how you have to handle it. But it's that's not the way it's handled anymore. Finally. But even as a, as a player, when I was playing, be in the dressing room and it'd be like, uh, they would tell black jokes and it was like, oh, not you though. And it's like, but guys, I, I'm still black. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, the funny part was these were not bad guys. They really weren't. But it, like one of my best friends who actually went underneath my old house where it was nothing but rats and stuff because it, it was a rental and he went under there to go make sure the rats were dead. And who does that? I wouldn't do that. But this guy did. And he was one of the guys that worked for me at Chrysler's. And he, he told a joke and he didn't even realize he was offending me. So I talked to him and I said, that's really offensive. And he's like, it is? Yeah, think about it for a minute. And then he did. He's like, oh, man, I'm sorry. And he, but he's not a bad guy. And that, unfortunately, is with a lot of people that I know. So, you know, there's so many sides to look at it. But. I've outgrown a lot of that stuff and I've never let it really affect me because good for you. I, I wanted this job in Windsor forever. And the thing about Windsor, it's the second time. I don't know if you know this, Manny. This is the second time I applied for the Windsor Spitfire job. I applied in 2010, right after the LaSalle Vipers had just won the Sutherland Cup. I didn't know that. And the funny part about that story is we won the finals with my backup goalie, <laughs> right? The starter that got us there, who was outstanding, never played a game in the final. Mm. Wow. So, that says something. Yeah. So, you know, and I applied uh, for Windsor, and a great guy got it, Paul Billings. Great, great human, great coach, awesome guy. He got the job. I was fine with it. Uh, all I really wanted was an interview, and I never got one. And for years, I thought, well, screw that right? You know, they'll never get a chance to do that to me again. But at the end of the day, I really wanted that job. So a friend of mine talked to me and he said, well, who are you hurting by not trying again? And I tried and I got it. And it was the best interview I've ever had in hockey. Trevor Litowski actually asked me, how are you making our goalies better? And I've never had a coach ask me that before. But the good part about that, I can show you in video how I'm going to make the goalie better and prove it and then do it, right? So it, it was a great interview. I think I knocked it out of the park, and all. Well, I think I had to have because I got the job. And, you know, to to get to that level with never having to play at that level is, to me, is, is pretty impressive. But it just goes to show the amount of work. If you put the work in, just about anything's possible. So that that's my the biggest part of my story. I didn't let, you know, the racism or any of that stuff stop me from achieving that goal. And at the end of the day, I did get that goal. 
There's a few things in there, Perry, for sure. That's a that's a great story, and, and I uh, I'm curious as to the the competition um, between goalie coaches. Uh, what what do you do, or what can you do to make yourself better as as a goalie coach? And how much has video changed that for you over the last few years? What what a great question. Uh, first, let me start with goalie coaches. Now are starting to be much better than they were before. I remember going to rinks to some of these big guys like Rick Hines, and they would put paper up on the glass, and nobody comes on my ice, and all this other stuff like they've created some new secret in goaltending. <laughs> well, I'll be the first one to say there are no secrets in goaltending, and out west they have it right. Those guys share and collaborate everything. That's why the Western Hockey League goalies are so much more consistent because they work like a network, and they all work together share examples, they share thoughts and ideas, and it just grows for everybody. We're here, you still get guys, ah, nobody comes on my ice. I, I would let any goaltender that wanted to, to learn a little bit about what I do, I'd let anyone come out, even parents, I'd let them come out. Just listen, you can help your kid. Right? I'm not, and that's the way it should be to me. Because nobody's got any secrets, there's nothing new that you're going to do that's going to evolutionize goaltending. But it, it has to be some kind of consistency. Do you do that through video then more more so than you did? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Could you imagine how quick if you were to come up with something, Perry, that that really revolutionized goaltending, how quick that would be stolen by everybody in the OHL, everybody in CIS <laughs> and the NHL. It, it would probably have a weekend of it, right? A hundred percent. There's nothing that I've done that someone else hasn't done. <laughs> no, nothing. And, and there's not a coach, even player coaches, there's nobody that's in, it's coming up with these ideas on their own, right? There's one guy that saw this and thought, oh, this might work. And another guy saw it and another guy saw it. Next thing you know, they're all claiming that this was their idea, right? <laughs> well, ultimately, after you use it in a game, they're going to see it, right? So Yeah, exactly. Because now there's video. If it's on a game in the NHL, there's video, right? And so what I typically do, I watch a lot of hockey and – and especially with the teams that, you know, that I coach, I, I watch the attack and then I try to remember the attack and then I try to build a drill around that kind of attack. So that makes it so, you know, typically I'm sure if you were ever at a goalie school back in the day, they'd bring shooter out and the shooter would be told, okay, I want you to shoot right here or right there. And that was it. When the players come out to do a goalie camp with me, I tell the players, this camp is not just for the goalies. If you guys don't get better today, your coaches aren't going to want you to come out here anymore. So I create scoring situations that the players get to do over and over again, and it's something they don't get to do in practice. You know, in a drill, they might get four reps, five reps, and then the drill changes. Where if I have, like, so I call it a pro skate, it'll be two to three goalies max, four shooters, and we'll work on one concept for almost a full hour. So they're getting 20, 30 reps and seeing different things about, wow, when the goalie does this, I can do this, right? So it's kind of a cat and mouse game for everybody. Everyone benefits. And that's the way I like to do it. It's the only way I do it. Perry Wilson is our guest. And, uh, you know, you talked about getting into the game. How about getting into the Hockey Canada program? You were the very – you were attending the very first goaltending coach program of excellence – Back in 2009. How difficult was it to get into that? What do you remember from that experience? Well, th th again, that's another 
interesting story. I was coaching the women's team. It was my, it was actually my first coaching job. Uh, and it was the University of Windsor women's team. And the reason I got that job is because I worked at Chrysler with the head coach. And she knew I played. And she's like, I don't know anything about goaltending. You want to come and help me? And I said, sure, I'll come and help. And the next thing you know, an email came to her from Hockey Canada about this goalie uh, first ever program of excellence for goaltending. And I said, sure, I'll go. So there were 20 of us that got invited. And I'm going to say 90% of them had great big goalie schools, these huge resumes, but they didn't understand what this camp was. Like I was like a kid in a candy store. I bothered everyone. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. How do I be a part of it? And all I did was ask. And I actually had a team the very next year. And no one else had anything to do with the program ever. And I thought, wow, you guys just don't get it. Like it was such a great opportunity. Um, and it was just like, honestly, it, I was like, my hair was on fire. Having <laughs> now, but it was awesome hair then. And it was, I was running around like a kid with my hair on fire. Boy, that's a big head. fire there, Perry. <laughs> <laughs> so also that following year, you started winning gold medals with the Hockey Canada women's team. And you were a member of the staff for two world titles in 2012. Can you uh, tell us about that experience and how fulfilling that is and try and put that into words? Absolutely. Like I have been, and this is what I mean about, I have the best hockey story ever for someone that never played high level. Like I didn't even play AAA hockey. I never did. But my passion for the position was so good that all I did was learn how to coach it. And with that, doing that program, uh, I, I hardly slept at all because I was asking so many questions. And then when I got my first team, it was like, oh boy, now, now I have to perform as a coach with hockey Canada and we won our first event and we just never stopped. Like, so every player that is on that Olympic team right now, I, I have their picture in my basement from different teams that we played on their way up. So that's super exciting. Uh, the first world championship was U18 worlds and Emirates Mashmeyer who's the backup for the Olympic team. Uh, they didn't really think she could win. And I thought she was terrific. And I just, I leaned on her the whole tournament about, do you really believe that what we're doing is going to help you win? And she bought in full tilt. And I thought, what, you know, what a great athlete, what a great person. And it just worked out. Great time. We were in the Czech Republic. And it was so hard because we couldn't even get pucks because <laughs> they have a different word, puck. And we didn't have pucks. So we had to do one practice with no pucks. Wow. <laughs> we didn't have any. Yeah, it's just one of those things. And the beauty of Hockey Canada, they just figure it out, right? And then we had pucks the next practice. But, you know, there's so many things that they take care of that we don't have to think about as staff. We just go, we work, we do our job, everything else is taken care of. So that was in the, the early part of that year. And as soon as I was done with that, I joined the senior women's uh, national team to get ready for Worlds. And that, that took from uh, mid-February to the middle of April. So it was quite the grind. We played games that seemed like every other night we played exhibition games against, you know, AAA midget boys teams and, you know, some PW teams. 
stuff like that. But they had to be really, really good teams because of the quality of the national women's program. And we were on the ice every day. And the, the interesting part of that, there were three goalies. And my job only not only included the two that are playing, the other goalie had never saw a second of ice time, extra workouts and extra ice time, plus the practice. So, you know, and, that, and that's where Kristen Campbell is this year. You know, the, there's such a – it's so organized, the steps that you take as a goaltender to get to the national level that it, you really understand your role. And they, she understood her role and was smiling the entire time while not playing a second. So that's the quality of people that they have there. And, and there isn't one coach that I, I wouldn't let stay in my house in all the years that I've been there. They're just awesome. Like I even heard from the, the goalie coach of the Olympic team, the general manager of the Olympic team texted me because I texted them first and they don't have to get back to me, but they did. And I thought that was awesome. You mentioned uh, Everence there and the success that, that she's had and you've worked with uh, Shannon Zabados as well uh, quite closely and seeing her grow. What made her so special? What what was uh, what, what tools did she have? Maybe where's the mindset or what uh, what really made her so elite? So with Zabby, it was a couple of things. Like she, first, she played um, in the Southern Pro League, right? And her goalie partner actually played for the Chicago Blackhawks uh, after a while. And when they were together in in uh, Columbus, the Cottonmouths, her stats were better than his. I can't remember his name <laughs> right now, but he played for the Blackhawks, and he was terrific. She just when when it was game on with her, she, her practice habits were really good. But when it was game on, like her ability to focus was laser sharp. And we, like she was that good when she was young. Like her mm-hmm. first Olympics, I think she was 20 maybe. Right. And, you know, she just passed everybody that was in line ahead of her just by her skills and her, her ability to focus. Like it's, every, everything was there. Size, speed, agility, focus. And talent. She had an incredible amount of talent. You worked with Mike DiPietro with the Windsor Spitfires. I'm interested in him because I'm a Canucks fan. Uh, what do you like about him and what do you think he can do at the most elite level in the NHL? So another great question. Thank you for that. Uh, Mikey's been with me since he was 13. I actually still have video of him then. And amazingly enough, we saw it then. There were three of us in our goalie school and we were like, wow, this, this kid... <laughs> this kid is going to be something. So when he went to the Spitfires, we were like, eh, not surprised, not surprised. But to win it all, having getting knocked out in the first round, uh, amazing, amazing. And again, with Mikey, his whole story is so unique, like losing his mother at the age of five. And it's it's almost like he's dedicated his whole life to honor her existence. And there isn't one day that we go on the ice that Mikey's not 100%. You know, he works out with me all summer. We go on the ice three times a week for an hour plus, just him. He won't train with anybody else. That's just who he is. And it's on. I have three to four shooters, and it's on for an hour and a half, hour and a change, and never cheats a rep, never. That's why... Uh, when he went to the World Championships uh, in Latvia, the head coach 
of the uh, New York Rangers said, this kid's going to have a great NHL career. And that, that was unsolicited just by his work ethic. He never played a second there, but his practice habits were there and everybody loved him. Like if you see the picture of that team when they won the world championship, Mikey's right in the middle and he never played a second, but that's, they loved him. When you said you could tell when he was that young, um, what was it about it? Was it his ability or his focus or his work ethic or just a combination of everything? A combination of all of it. That kid just – so I knew Mikey when he was maybe eight or nine, and Mikey was a very big child. And nobody believes I have the picture on my phone. I won't do that because I won't embarrass him. But I used to run fitness at Malden Park. And he'd come out with all the big boys. And he'd go, I'll get up there, coach. And he was dead last every time. But he never stopped. And I was like, kid, cut it out, man. You don't belong to you. Coach, I got it. And up he goes. And he's still like, he's still like that. It's amazing. And he's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Yeah. Like one of the great guys you'll ever meet. His dad's the same way. Yeah. His dad's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and th- mm-hmm. that's why I'm not surprised that uh, the guys with the world ju- with the world team at the Worlds loved him so much, even though he never played a minute of action. Right? He's just one of those good guys. Speaking of best on yeah. best tournaments, you know, you talked about your Olympic hockey connections. How much of the Olympic tournament did you watch uh, at the Olympics there? Yeah, I watched a lot of it. I was, you know, of course, disappointed in the men's team. Um, Not by the choices that they made or the way they played. Just, you know, it just, it's it's not our best is all I'll say. You know what I mean? It was guys giving their all. I don't think anybody cheated. I don't think anybody uh, didn't do their best. But, you know, it's just unfortunate to not even be in the medal round for Canada or the U.S., Right. So I just saw, like, to me, it was like, boy, they're working really hard. But, and again, it's such a short term event. How, I, I can't believe any of those guys knew each other. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at that level, you have to have been in the game for quite some time and understand when you're in that environment, everybody's got a role. And that's the way Hockey Canada does it. They pick you for a role. And if they're not doing the role they were picked for, that's not why they picked you, mm-hmm. right? You try to do something else. And that's kind of what I saw. Players were trying to do maybe something outside of what the role they were put in there for. And you really don't have much time to make adjustments, if that makes sense. Is there a better rivalry in hockey right now than the women's Canada versus U.S.? Not a chance. I don't, I don't know if you saw the stat. But it was the most watched moments of the whole Olympic Games, the Canada-U.S. gold medal game. And there were a lot of great events, mm-hmm. no question. But that game is – and, you know, having – so when we, when we won it in 2012, it was in the U.S. It was in Burlington, Vermont. And I'm telling you, to be in that environment <laughs> – You didn't enjoy that too much, did you, Perry? <laughs> <laughs> So intimidating. And the other side of that, we lost the preliminary game 8-1. to one. We got crushed. And the, the thing about us, like nobody panicked. No, Nobody. And I was like, yeah, okay. 
let's move on. And we did the very next day. Back to work and, and we got to the big game and everybody was ready for it. It was awesome. When is New Zealand going to have a team? Because I know you coached there about a decade ago. How, how did that happen? And again, uh, after the Sochi Games, uh, the director of New Zealand Ice Hockey went to Bob Nicholson, who was the, the president of Hockey Canada at the time, and he wanted the goalie coach from the Olympics to go. And Matt Cockle was that coach, and he had two young kids. So he's like, no, I'm not going to New Zealand. And I was just next in line. So I didn't even know they had hockey in New Zealand. <laughs> so I went down there by myself. Uh, guy picked me up at the airport, took me to a hotel, and it's like, okay. Went on the ice. I had three goalies my first camp. And it's like, oh, boy, this is – this is going to be interesting. And, and, and what I saw was the passion in these kids. So rugby is their thing. And if you watch the way they play hockey, it's almost the same thing. It's hit or be hit. <laughs> like the collisions out there are pretty legit, but it's, it's different hockey. And, you know, you learn to just embrace their game and not only their game, but the culture. So the culture is great. I, I loved it there. By the the fourth year there, I was there. I was doing their national teams. And my last camp, I had 27 goalies. And when you think about the size of New Zealand, like they're way down in Division Three, So they have probably 28 goalies. And 27 of them flew all over from all over New Zealand. It's all flights to get to the camp in Auckland to do it because they were having so much fun. So that's a real you know, a real bonus for me to be able to be a part of that. And that program, you know, they started to move up a little bit and then they changed ownership of who runs the team. And it just wasn't the same focus. Um, they're trying, but they, instead of developing their younger players, they're using too many imports. And that's where the, the companies at the, their teams at the lower levels, they, they get caught up in, you know, Canadian or American come and live there for a few years they put them on their national team, and it's like, well, you're leaving your 19-year-old that needs to see what this is, get better. They're, you know, they they just don't have the opportunities. So once they figure that out again, that you have to develop from within, then then they'll be fine. But they had a couple goalies that could definitely play in North America, and they just uh, there's one kid from that program that is playing at A21 and at the WFCU. He's a great kid. His brother is the goalie. The goalie didn't come. The player did. <laughs> this kid's a stud. So they do have they do have players that are really really good. They just don't have enough ice time. Like I think a sheet of ice is three hundred dollars. Mm. Wow! And you can't go on a second wing, and you better not be late because they'll charge you. Wow! Wow! Because all the rinks are private owned. There's only in the entire country two islands. There's six rinks. That's wild. Yeah, ice time is limited. <laughs> At least there's demand for it, right? Like if, yeah, yeah, they just put a new rink in, but it's the size of wheels roller skating. <laughs> <laughs> roller hockey, or you know, inline hockey is a big thing there, but the rink is so small. Yeah, yeah. but that's all they had, and they put ice in. Is like why? Why bother? Because you can't. You can never host a double IHF event there because it's too small. Mm -hmm. So there's only two rinks, three rinks that you could do an, a double IHF event 
in New Zealand. The other ones are too small. Wow. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah. Australia's kind of the same way, though. Like when I went over there, they have rinks that you actually pull rope <laughs> around the rink. There's not glass. You just pull this rope that's tied together around the rink, and they get their sticks caught in it, their helmets caught in it. It's, it's pretty funny. But I, what I've really found is that hockey is such an international sport. It's just different the way they play it, but it's still the same thing. The passion of the kids, they light up when they – you know, and they see the bigger kids, and it's just so much fun. I really miss that, but I, I love to be home too. So this is home, and hopefully things will work out. I can find another gig around here, and then we'll go try to move forward from that. Now, you've coached so many different levels, and, and I'm interested to see um, how you coach differently, or if you do coach differently with, you know, you've got the young kids, you've got juniors, you've got CIS kids, you've got national level, the, the OHL, they're all in different stages of their development, right? How do you change as a coach depending on who you're working with? What, a, what an awesome question. You know, I, I can honestly say probably two people have ever asked me that question, which is pretty interesting. Hmm. So to me, honestly, the only difference is between levels is the younger ones, you have to do more detail with them, and the pace is a little bit lighter. Outside of that, I do some of the same drills with a peewee goalie that I would do with Mikey, hmm. which is pretty interesting. The only thing is you dial it down a lot on the speed, and then you dial it down in the amount of reps. Right. Because like with Mikey, if he's doing a drill – We'll do 10 reps in a row at full speed because that's what he needs as a pro to have those excellent habits. But with a peewee, they don't – it's funny. I don't give them as much as instruction because you let them play. Like, let them do their thing because that's how they figure stuff out. If I find guys, you know, they'll do a rep and the coach is in there. And then they do another and the coach is in there. It's like, guys, no, let them, let them figure it out. And it's the same with players. Like, I don't know if you know who Mason Guerin is. Do you know that kid? Yeah, yeah. Many yeah, yeah. I know that kid, yeah. Have you ever seen him on ice? No. Many. He's unbelievable. Wow. That kid, not only is a great hockey player, he shot a 61 at Essex. Yeah, that's how <laughs> I know the name, from uh, golf. Golf, yeah. yeah. And he's, he, does, he does the water bottles with his best games. That kid is a phenom. <laughs> he can pick. He does that Michigan thing like this stuff. <laughs> like like he, he can do it with his eyes closed. Absolutely, he's amazing. Like he's twelve years old to shoot a sixty-one. I'll never go. That's wild. I'm not a <laughs> Listen, we next foursome that we go out in a tournament. We're signing this kid up. <laughs> <laughs> Draw a mustache on him and we'll win. <laughs> At least, well, you don't even have the DVD. Maybe for the golf cart. <laughs> what's your favorite? What's your favorite age range to coach? Honestly, uh, juniors. And the the funny part about that, it's junior girls, not boys. The junior girls so much want to get better, and they're like open books. Like you can you can read them really clearly about what they're thinking and what they're feeling where boys just, you know, they get that look on their face that, okay, I'm screwing up, but I, I don't want to ask for help. Well, the girls do like, they understand there's a lot of this game, but they just don't get, 
right? Where the guys, yeah, yeah, I got it. And they really don't get what you're talking about. So even though I love it, I there's not an age group I don't love. But I would say my favorite is the junior or even even the senior women's uh, doing working with those goalies, Charlene Labonte and Shannon Zabados. They were amazing. And I will be the first to tell you, you could probably hear my knees knocking in the rafters for my first time out with them because it's so intimidating because of the skill set. Right? But they were so accommodating and, and open about what they needed. So it was great. Last couple of questions for Perry Wilson on the podcast. He's been a great guest, uh, great goaltending coach, hockey goaltending coach. You mentioned something earlier too that I wanted to touch on about the changing trends in the game. From a goaltending perspective, you know, there was – there was a, there were a few years there that said every goaltender needed to be six three or taller. For example, mm-hmm. has, has that changed? And is there a specific height that goaltenders need to be, Perry, to be successful? Another outstanding question, and I've got two great answers for it. The one I was in Toronto, and you know, listening to Mike Babcock when he was there, and. He said specifically, if the goalie's not 6'3", don't even put him in front of me. I don't want to see him. Really? It doesn't matter. Yeah, 100%. And that, that's a quote. Uh, then you look at Saros in Nashville, Juicy Saros. He's smaller than Mikey, if you can believe that. And he's had an outstanding career. So what has really changed about goaltending is a couple of things. Goalies are now learning to see the puck longer. And that's a different skill set that I have. Uh, there's a guy that created It's not me. I didn't create this. But I, I learned it through Mikey. And it has totally changed the game for goalies. Actually, Hockey Night in Canada did a big thing on it with um, James Reimer. Because he went when he left Toronto, he was terrible. And now look at him in San Jose, much older, playing every night and he, because the other guy's hurt and still playing well because he actually sees the puck longer, quicker, and he lets his eyes take him where he needs to go. And it sounds crazy, but it's so has changed the game for goaltenders. And that's why a smaller goalie can play because he understands the attack and he gets in position where he needs to be and then he does what he does. So it's not about size anymore. Do you have any advice that you can offer people who are passionate about hockey and who want to get into coaching? Yeah, for coaching, I like so make connections. Make connections with, with coaches. You know, go to those games and strike up a conversation with them when you see them in the hallway. Like not even at a game, in a practice, whatever. And it doesn't have to be an OHL coach. Like it just be a minor hockey coach, coaching AAA. Just strike up a conversation about Man, I'd love to get into coaching and see what happens. The coaches of today, for the most part, are so open about sharing and inclusion that I think, and it definitely has been that way for me, that if they do these things, they get in these conversations, they'll realize that these guys are an open book now. Like Trevor Litowski is one of the best ever. He still is with the Montreal Canadiens. I texted him today. You know, they got three-game winning streak. I just congrats. And he got right back to me, which, you know, typically before at that level, who are you? I used to know you. Now I'm yeah. in the NHL. I can't be bothered. That's not the way these guys are anymore. They're great. So 
you know, go to some of these conferences, you know, hang out, find out what you can find out and you'll find out there's way more opportunity to coach. Cause I find some guys are there just because it's cool rather than it's a passion, right? There's a lot of guys way better playing resume than mine. Uh, all those things. I don't care if you played in the NHL, you're not a better coach than me yet because I, I know I, I work too hard to be the best. And if someone has that kind of passion, they can do everything I've done. I'm not special. I just worked for it. Who, if you had a, a night to just sit back and, and have a couple of beers and watch a game, who do you love watching in NHL level or whatever for goaltenders right now? Right now? Well, uh, I love Jack Campbell because when he was a Windsor Spitfire, I was working with the Vipers and we were going to go work and we had it all set up and I got a phone call that morning that it was being traded and I thought it was such a lost opportunity because he's such a great kid. And now everybody's seeing it, but he got booed out of Windsor, got booed out of the Sioux, toiled in the minors forever and to have him do what he's doing right now, I love it. And it just goes to show you like, you never know when you're going to hit your level when it all clicks. And that's what he's done. And I couldn't be proud of that kid. Right? He probably won't remember our conversations, but I'm sure he's had a million of them since then. But it's, it's, it's about him. And to see him succeed with that team, is it's awesome. I'm not even a Maple Leaf fan. I'm a Jack Campbell fan. I know you got uh, Noah Giesbrecht. Uh, you helped him yeah. get a scholarship, a D1 scholarship. What do you like about his game? So he, when I first met him, we, we've been working together for three years now. And he was, you know, he's got that good size, great athlete, but he was a really scrambly about his play. And I told him, I said, Noah, if you can ever just find patience in your game, you're going to have something. And that's exactly what he's done. And he's worked on it and worked on it. And to get – a D1 scholarship in the middle of a season, pretty impressive. But his stats were made that happen. You know, his work ethic is there, his fitness is there, and the ability to stop the puck, like, great, great kid. Like he came over for a tune-up when we finally got out of COVID at the end of uh, January there. And uh, even with all this new Ferris State gear, and he was, uh, he was just still beaming about what he's doing. He said, I pinched myself. I said, no, it's, you work for it. Like nothing, that's the thing about hockey. Nothing is given. It has to be earned. And tomorrow's another day to earn. Hey. Right? I, I feel the same way about coaching. You put in the work, you'll find some success, right? You know, exactly. it's funny we're having this conversation to end Black History Month. You know, you talked about the challenges that you faced and the obstacles that you faced. Um, what do you tell people of color who still unbelievably – face those challenges and obstacles in the game they love. Yeah, great. Uh, I, I tell them, for one, talk about it. Talk about it. Talk about it with your peers. I, I've been an open book since I joined that BIPOC group. I've had so many conversations, especially with young coaches trying to make it. Like a lot of these guys are only in minor hockey and, you know, they're, they're, they come into a rink and the parents are, spitting at them and so it, that stuff really happens i've seen it i've experienced it and it's like <laughs> i walked in a rink once and was told 
hey, this isn't basketball. What are you doing here? And it's like, oh, okay. Okay, first your 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 son, the goalie, can't skate, and I can help him. It was a different story, but a lot of times going to the ranks is like, what are you what are you here for? So I tell the coaches like, there are so many other good people that you get one, or you're going to get bad apples anywhere you go. So it's like, what does this game really mean to you? And you'll go through it, and that's all I did. I never stopped going through it. You know, you, when you're in the crop, keep going. Don't stop. You know, I, I, I could have made scenes lots of times about, you know, go to the press, press charges, make a stink about it. Not not interested in that. I mean, interested in people that care about other people and advancing my career. That's all I care about. If I'm If I'm a good person, then great. If you don't think I'm a good person, that's great, too. I know that I am. And that's what I live by. Great words, Perry. Great way to end it. Thanks very much for doing this. This has been fantastic. You're the man, Perry. <laughs> I, I hope it was fun for you guys. I know I get chatty, but I really do love this game. There's no question. You can tell. No but question. You, you've got so many good stories. We'll have to have you back in the future, too. Anytime. I got a little bit of Jameson left, so anytime. <laughs> <laughs> So great to have Perry Wilson on the podcast, especially since we're ending Black History Month to talk about the game of hockey he loves so much. Like the passion just yeah. comes through his voice. Right? There's really nobody, you know, even in our area, and, and I've been fortunate enough to know Perry. And uh, and I mean, there's there's so few people you can think of off the top of your head that listening to him talk. I mean, that was, guys, if we weren't kind of steering the conversation, that was probably a four and a half hour talk of Perry. And it, the whole time would have been interesting. And the whole time he would have had the energy that he had talking about it. He just, he loves what he does. He oozes passion. He does. And, and it's John, great. he loves your guy, Mikey DiPietro. That's right. That's how I know I'm an expert. I mean, if he likes him. <laughs> John's going around right now. You know, I know a guy who works with Mikey and he says he's going to be top level. And that program for um, coaches uh, of color, mm-hmm. indigenous black coaches that the NHL Coaches Association have, that's a great program. Yes. And if if you ever take the time to go to their website, the list is long, which makes me so happy to see mm-hmm. that they're supporting so many young coaches of color try to prosper in the game of hockey. Yeah, it's the one thing, and we've talked about uh, hockey and the, the the hockey diversity and, and all of that numerous times on, on the podcast. From the coaches' side of things, from the NHL Coaches Association, they are doing things right. They they're acknowledging that they're they're starting these programs. I think they've done an excellent job of uh, of promoting this game and, and promoting the people that are in it that may have similar battles like Perry does. And and the conversations that he had about the challenges that that he faced. The sad part about it, John, is those still exist today, right? Yeah, it's unbelievable that um, even in 2022, people still have to deal with that kind of nonsense. Like, um, if I were him, I'd be playing those other sports and go, oh, yeah, watch me play basketball. Watch me do all these other sports. How do my ankles look to you now? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, that's to just turn the other cheek and uh, and listen to it, acknowledge it and and move along. You're, you're a stronger man than than most, I would think, right? He doesn't. He can't play the game as his family moves from Nova Scotia to Ontario. Because Not even invited. 
quote unquote, you have weak ankles. <laughs> you haven't even seen me skate. Like, yeah, yeah. Weak ankles. That's unbelievable. No, it's a great conversation. We've got so many of these in the OT. Every once in a while, you know, even our main show is pretty good. But the OT, <laughs> knock it out of the water time and time again. Great guest. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know what else is great about for future considerations? Social media. We have started a Twitter craze on social media of people that are following for future considerations. Great debate, great content, comments and all that stuff. Please like, share, do all the things that you do. Uh, hit the thumbs up thing or whatever. Podcast <laughs> FFC on Twitter and Instagram and for future considerations on Facebook. Did you see somebody shared the uh, Alfonso Davies thing? Again, video again. again. <laughs> this guy, we got to get him on the show simply so I can explain to him that every night about 4.30 in the morning, once a week, my phone dings to Alfonso Davies. It's, I tell you, it's the Leamington Flyers and that goal that are really propelling these social media platforms the last little bit. Of course, the Leamington Flyers. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, remember too you can also get a bit old timing you can send us your comments and questions and topic suggestions for future considerations at gmail.com we want to thank our sponsors on this episode as always london awnings quality that shows and shane topolovic of next level athletics in windsor specializing in sport training and nutrition I got nothing. I, I was going to say something. You got something. nothing. I was going to say something about Shane. I'm not going to say it. We haven't heard from Shane anymore. He's got to give us some more material. It. Where is he? I know. I don't get it. <laughs> well, thanks for listening, everybody. This was great. Uh, another awesome week uh, on the show. We promise that we'll have another one for you next week as well. Thanks for listening to the OT, and thanks for listening to For Future Considerations. That was a disgraceful performance, in my opinion. In my opinion, that sucked. Their mentality's awful. Their attitude's awful. It's been their M.O. for the last three years. Tonight I saw and heard one of the most disgusting, rudest, sick demonstrations in my entire career. Probably the worst. It's garbage. And the editor that let it come out is garbage. You're still here? It's over. Go home.